Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. I sort of always wanted to be entertaining first and loud first. And you have to understand what a columnist voice is. Not everybody is suited to write a column. They're not. The greatest writers in the world, not all of them are columnists because they don't have that need to put their opinion out there and back up their opinion. And Boz has a column voice, and I have a column voice, and Wilbon has a column voice that over the years, the Wilbon now is just screaming almost all the time. That's all he does. He even screams at me. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. It's cold in Washington, D.C. in the mornings lately. It's cold. Now, that's good in the sense that the cicadas are being delayed when they tunnel up from the earth. I've noticed in my neighborhood, Michael, I'm sure you've noticed this too, a lot of trees are being draped with a gauzy-like substance, young trees, and I can only assume it's the fear that the cicadas will overwhelm them and literally eat the trees. Yeah, it's, it's only on the young trees, and, it, and it's a flex by the homeowners. You know, look at us. We're taking care of our trees. Yeah. You where are the it, cicadas? They're in the ground. But like, where? How deep are they? Are I they don't know. Their, are they getting? I didn't forecast? study. I didn't study cicada in college. <laughs> I don't know anything about cicada. I would like to see somebody wrap their car in the gauze. Some idiot who thinks the cicada is going to eat the car and shred the metal all the way down. Um, so it's cold here, and it like over the weekend. Cold. I mean, got to play, so I was happy, but it was cold. Well, it was Mother's Day. Yeah. Well, I got out. You know, that's what I want for Father's Day is to play <laughs> golf on Mother's Day. But but I went out with three women who were moms. I went out with Courtney Freming, and I went out with Lydia Callio, and I went out with Linda Morgan, and they are all moms. So that was how I justified it's playing golf. It's so great golf. that you can, you can justify your actions with that move of playing with three moms. Yeah, I thought that was... And the best part is mom here probably loved having the afternoon to herself. I will tell you that, that the course was so wide open at 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning because everybody was obliged to do Mother's Day stuff, I guess. So anyway, um, I, I was going to... There's a lot of things I wanted to talk about to begin with, as often happens on a Monday, because you have Saturday and Sunday to deal with. But I did, when I picked up the paper today, I read that Lloyd Price had died at age 88. And for those of you who don't know who Lloyd Price is, um, his two most famous songs, he was a, you know, a, a singer in the 1950s, a consequential singer in the 1950s. And his most famous two songs, one was Personality, Walk with Personality, Talk with Personality, Smile with Personality. You know, plus you got a great big heart. Um, but the most famous song is Stagger Lee. Uh, and Stagger Lee... And I just wrote this down because this is, I'm pretty sure this is the beginning. I was standing on the corner when I heard my bulldog bark. He was barking at the two men who were gambling in the dark. <laughs> right, Nigel? Do I have that right? I think that's the beginning of Stagger Lee. Well, yeah, he says the night was clear and the moon was yellow. And the yellow, moon was yellow and the leaves, were and the leaves down. Were, yeah, tumbling down. Or tumbling, tumbling down, down, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so the, the premise of the song is that uh, Stagger Lee and Billy are gambling, and Stagger Lee gets angry because Billy, you know, Stagger Lee threw seven, Billy swore that he threw eight, <laughs> you know. And he, and he said, and I'm going back home, going to get my 44, you know. And then he shoots him, he shoots the, and the bullets go through Billy and broke the bartender's glass. It's a great song. Stagger Lee is a great, great song. And so you know, we pay a little You know bit. it's based on a true story. I mean, yes, it, I do. Yeah, I read it. I read fantastic. it. Fantastic. Um, so we pay tribute to uh, Lloyd Price today in that regard. Um, there are a couple of things that happened over the weekend. The, the, Nats are, the Nats bullpen is so terrible. Brad Hand is so terrible. I hate him with the fury of a thousand sons. I hate, <laughs> hate Brad Hand. He blew, Max Scherzer threw one of the great games in recent Max Scherzer history. It's not a 20-strikeout game. Two hits, 14 strikeouts, seven and a third. He doesn't get angry when Davey goes and gets him. They bring in Daniel Hudson. Daniel Hudson closed down the eighth, okay? And then they give it to Brad Hand, who says, I'm a closer, to which I say, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not a closer. Four-pitch walk. Yeah, and he just loads, he gets everybody on the bases, and he loses He loses the, the lead. The worst part and about And then is Tanner Rainey comes in and does worse. <laughs> So you, when it gets so you're talking about the Saturday game when you get to extras it's just a different ball game because if you're the if you're the visiting team and you don't put up two you have to put up in numbers. the first half you're you're, just, you're you're going to lose by something because you're going to be able to get that run over to third but it's the way that Brad Hand was opening up these sequences where the the pitches were not even close so it just makes the strike zone that much smaller because you're not smaller you're not going to get any call but you look at it the other side is 
on that Saturday game, I think they were out hitting the Yankees three to one. Yesterday they were hitting them, I think, two to one. And you have to try and accumulate they don't, they don't more than you know two runs a game. They don't score. Uh, their their bullpen stinks and they don't score. Um, everybody is aware of the FP Santangelo thing. He has been, to my knowledge, taken off the games at present. He was taken off the games about a week ago. He was reinstituted on the games. He was then taken off again. I am not going to talk to his guilt or innocence. I have no idea. No idea. He has been accused by a woman of sexual misconduct. And that has uh, escalated to the point where he is not doing the games. Everyone is entitled to the presumption of innocence. I don't think this is ever going to court. So some decision is going to be made. And it is beyond me. And I will not comment on that. What I will comment on is the hilarity of the people blaming everybody else for what happened. For example, the Washington Nationals, who approve F.P. Santangelo and Bob Carpenter doing their games. They approve them. They not, may not pay them directly. They do not employ them, but they, they do not employ them. Say. But they, yeah, but they have a big say in this. And they said, they issued a statement, F.P. Santangelo has been, and they've had him for 10 years, by the way. F.P. Santangelo has been accused of something that we don't find consistent with our value system. And we went to Masson and we said, do something about this. So in other words, it's not me. I didn't do it. I have nothing to do with it. So they went to Masson. Masson, and then, and then they said, and Masson investigated and cleared him and cleared him. And so we put him back on, but now, now he's out. And what Masson says, whoa, whoa, it's not us. We had nothing to do with this. We went to baseball. Because baseball is in charge of former baseball players being on television. This is ludicrous. This cannot be true. This cannot be true. Major League Baseball didn't even respond because they don't have to because it's ludicrous. Everyone is running around blaming somebody else. I do not know what the resolution will be. At the moment, it appears that the resolution, at least in the, in the short term, is Bob Carpenter continues to do play-by-play. -play, and now Dan Coco, who was out of a job four months ago, had no job at all because Masson fired him. Then the Nats hired him because he'd been doing Nats pre and post for a long time after doing sidelines. He was very good on sidelines, I thought. Very good on that. Now he's doing color. So this is like, it seems to me, Michael, the opportunity of a lifetime for Dan and, Coco. And getting better every single day. Yeah, he's game. pretty good. He's pretty good. He does his homework. Yeah, so I wanted to comment on that. I wanted to congratulate my friend Carl Saliba for being elected to the uh, Lewis City Council in Delaware, and I wanted to get to one other thing. Um, I watched the golf yesterday, Rory McIlroy, and he won. And I'm very glad Rory McIlroy won because I like Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas are among the people that I like a lot. I think they have lovely personalities. I think they are relatively serious people, but they're also mirthful, and I think they speak with a certain wider view than most athletes. That's me. That's my opinion on them. Rory McIlroy was going to win this tournament. He was up two, heading into the last hole. There was some doubt as to whether or not he should hit driver because he hits it so far he could end up in a trap or something like that or it could go a little bit wild. So he clubbed down, right, Michael? He clubbed down to a three-wood maybe? I'll trust you on that. Oh, well, he clubbed down. And then he hooked it left, and there's water there. And he is perilously – if he's in the water – He's probably not going to win. He needs five to win on a par four, six to tie. Seven loses. Seven's really a lot. Six after he hit his tee shot, not really a lot. He's on a bank near the water. He's within three feet of the water. He has no real shot to get out, and he does something that only a great and confident pro would do. He says, you know what? I'm going to call a penalty on myself. I'm going to give myself... Explain what, what he did. I'll let you. I, I actually wasn't watching. Oh, okay. So I assume he just took relief. He took relief, and he dropped, and it went over the red line, so he got to put it right by the red line, right yeah. left of the red line in order to hit the shot. He now lies three, and he's about 180 out. So he is saying, I'm going to get on the green with this next shot. I'm going to get on the green from putt. 180 out, and I'm going to two-putt. And only... a truly confident pro would do that and that's what he did he put it on the green about 25 30 feet right of the hole he got down to three feet he put it in and he won in that situation i don't even record a score i just put x 
Because I'm not, I can't even get back to well, the fairway. It shows the importance of knowing how the rules can work for you and how, yep. to, and how, to, and how to call that penalty, which would- Faldo like, said it was absolutely the right thing to do. Now, for you, I was actually watching the Walker Cup, which the Golf Channel allowed me to finally find on my TV. With the great Sam Reeves was there, and, and Marty West was there, and Larry Fitzgerald. The coverage. Hmm? We needed a lot more Sands. We uh, and as we saw Chet last Maxson. year, this was this is now the second time Jimmy we've Dunn. seen Seminole on TV, and it looked beautiful, even though you could only really see the final four or five holes. But to go back to the McElroy win, it's it's so important based on the outside chatter of the potential of these other Super Leagues. And what the commissioner really needed was, I don't know, the most outspoken critic of the Anti-Super League. To yeah. go out and, and win. win the dang tournament, yeah. which he did. Yeah. And... This is somebody who's already going to be the beneficiary of that pool of you know player money who has not won in 18 months, and people are questioning where it does he still have the focus or it's drive? It's him and Spieth, right? And yes, and but you then look at it and say, you know what? He's a young man who went out and started a family. Now he's beginning to get back into the winning ways. And you look at what this could mean. You have you have a few majors coming up. You have a major down in South Carolina where he's already won. You have a U.S. Open that is at a long, tough course that is set up for a player like his game. And if it's if his putting continues, Brad Faxon was getting um was 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 in the social media world because he picked Rory as one of his top ten greatest putters. He didn't include himself on the list. Brad Faxon, college friend of Tom Jones, not that Tom Jones. So at Furman. he's been working with Rory, and he has been for a while. But if you see Rory putt like that, it's it's a sign of things to come. So um, Spieth has won and hadn't won in a long time. Rory has won and hadn't won in a long time. Uh, Rory's interview after the after the uh, win was wonderful. He talked about the pandemic and how it changed everybody's life. And he said, it feels so great to have people here. I didn't know I needed people that much. Didn't know I needed fans that much, but I fed off them. I he really always says it. he plays better in tournaments than at home practicing because he feeds off that energy. Yeah. He talked about that. That was really good. He talked about his family, his child. He's got a young daughter, right? Mm -hmm. Young daughter. All right, we will take a break. Uh, Michael Wilbon will join. Michael Wilbon did not watch the golf. He watched the basketball yesterday and yelled at me that I watched the golf. I didn't yell at him that he watched the basketball. You know, it's, it's a free country. And he's got nine TVs. He can watch what he wants. Uh, we'll be back with Wilbon. Uh, I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. It's May and things are blooming. Why not see if your home and auto insurance savings can bloom too? We're almost halfway through the year. Head into June with one less thing to worry about. See if you're overpaying for home and auto insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place. They can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. They have saved shoppers up to $1,055 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. Their team will handle the paperwork to set up your new policy or switch over your current one. Getting started is easy. Just head to policygenius.com, answer a few quick questions, not trick, but quick questions about yourself and your property, and then Policy Genius takes it from there. They will compare rates from America's top insurers, from Progressive to Allstate, to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team can look for ways to save you more, including bundling your home and auto policies. And if they find a better rate than what you're playing now, paying now, excuse me, they'll switch you over for free. So head to PolicyGenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, P-O-L-I-C-Y, Genius. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Oh, swing a bat, throw a ball, the Cubs have won it all. Pop the champagne, swill the beer, it's been a hundred eight years. The series is over, put a Cub hat on your head. Everyone who saw them win their last one is dead. Teddy Roosevelt was president when last they won. Since then we've seen Taft and Woodrow Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, FDR four times, Truman, Eisenhower, JFK, LBJ, Nixon, Ford, and Carter, Reagan, Bush the elder, Clinton, Bush the younger than in his final presidential fall. Barack Obama saw the Cubs win it all. 
So he lists presidents and mayors and the entire Cubs roster, Wilbon, because he said, he said, upon hearing Wilbon on last Monday's show, lamenting that the 2016 Cubs didn't have a song, I suddenly remembered writing a song at the time. That's the great Dan Byrne. Michael Wilbon joins us now. Let us start with something that very few people cared about except you and me. And that was DK Metcalf running in a real live track meet. Yeah. Golden West Games, a real live track meet, coming out of the blocks in real live track shoes. Not running a 40, starting when you want, but listening to a gun and running. And DK Metcalf is a huge man. He's enormous. He's got, if he wanted to be a real sprinter, he'd probably have to lose about 20 to 30 pounds. But he's a real football player making a lot more money. What did you think of all of it and how he acquitted himself? Because I thought he did great, even though he finished last. Well, Tony, I mean, he did great for a football player. Yeah. Um, and as we as we went over a couple of times last week, when Ronaldo Nehemiah said, "Look, I mean, this guy is great, but he can't he can't beat any of the of the real sprinters in the world." And of course, as it turns out, he didn't. He finished like seventeenth out of nineteen or something like that. Something like that. And and the time wasn't far off what. You certainly thought he would do. Um, it was right where Nehemiah said he would r- probably finish. And so it's interesting, Tony, of course, to us, because we have watched track and field in person in our lives. Um, you know, I got to see Usain Bolt's last race in person, sitting in the stadium in London in which he had won in 2012. Um, and so after the during the world cha- the, the track and field championships i went to see them in london and i watched with ronaldo nehemiah who i have known first as someone i i covered and lately as 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 a good friend i mean he wound he married a, a close friend and uh so we see each other as families and that sort of thing and it's just it's been a great pleasure to, to 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 get to know Ronaldo a second time in a much more thorough way, and just listen to him and how he how he studied this, and he played football for the Forty ers He was, as yes, we he said, he yes, was he the did. perfect expert to come on yeah. and say, "Okay, look, let's let's slow our roll. This guy's a great, great, great athlete, but but and he of course explained um, about weight and size and." what you'd have to do and how you'd have to train differently. And Nehemiah knows because he did both of them. He did both of them as a grown man. And there is so a... it was just spectacular to um, engage in that last week. Tony, because people don't, people don't watch track and field. They watch every four years, and it's too bad because it's so exciting. Track and That's field is great, and it has mm-hmm. left this country for Europe and Asia and other places, and it, nobody cares about it here which is a shame, except in the Olympics, and even in the Olympics, for reasons I do not understand, although they're probably about photography, more people watch swimming than watch track and field, which makes me want to smash my head into a wall. But that's just me. There is a difference between football speed and true sprinter speed. Would you like to explain that to people? Well, I mean, yeah, there's a difference, and we found out what it is in terms of time. That, that, That a guy who... I mean, D.K. Metcalf is not the fastest guy. Well, he could be the fastest guy in the NFL. He really could be. But at his top-end speed, Tony, it's going to be, you know, he can't reach the top-end speed of, of, of the most mediocre sprint champions. So he, he probably would get these – are, these are Olympic hopefuls. They are hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Not, most of these people are going to make the Olympic team. They're not going to make it, and he can't beat them. The difference, of course, is the size. He's got to train it's, differently. And the muscles different are different. Size. You said he's, he's put himself 20 pounds. Yeah, yeah that's what he has to do. Because he's put yeah. his body in a position to succeed at football. At football, yes. Which is different. So he ran, I think he ran a 10-3-3. 10-3-3, yeah. Nehemiah said if he ran under 10-3, he'd be really impressed. The automatic qualifying time for the trials is 10.05. And you think, well, there's no real big deal, 10.05 oh, to 10.33. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, two full is. strides. Yes, yeah. you know, like there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of daylight between the guy who wins and Metcalf. But what what I thought about, and you will know this, Bob Hayes was an Olympic sprinter. Yeah, he was a big man. Ben Johnson wasn't a tall man, and he was roided up. 
But I remember Ben Johnson looking at his upper body and going, oh, my God. Yes. Look at this guy. But Ben Johnson was probably, you know, six feet, you know, 190 pounds, which you you could say, okay, wait a minute, that's the size of a cornerback. But the weight is distributed differently. The musculature is different. It is. Um, The training is. is different. And for those of us who have been to the Olympics and been around the track for the week that track and field is going on and watching the training, it is nothing like football. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be different. That's what makes Bob Hayes and, and Ronaldo Nehemiah so unique, that their bodies, they, they made themselves, they shaped themselves to, to be both, and they succeeded. And, and neither one, Bob Hayes was, was a better football player than Ronaldo Nehemiah, but the fact that Ronaldo did it, there's two great hurdlers in the history of man. And, you know, Ronaldo Nehemiah is one of them. Ed Moses is the other. And when you think about it, Tony, how unique those guys were in the history of athletics, we we started talking about the sprinter. Okay, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, but those guys were trained first as sprinters. And they added football. Or they added baseball. They added whatever they added. That's one of the reasons why, you know, the great Dick Schaap, the great late Dick Schaap said, it's Bo Jackson. I don't want to hear about anybody else. That's the Bo greatest Jackson athlete of all time. Could, you know, and that's – so D.K. Metcalf, God bless him. And when you talk about the greatest athletes now, look, he may be one right now, but he can't, he can't be an uh, Olympic sprinter, not, not with that body at this point. There was a time, people probably don't know this, uh, Carl Lewis was drafted in the seventh round of the NFL draft just on the chance that maybe he'd want to be a football player. Because if you're, if you're a coach, you say, wait a second, if you give me that guy and he runs a fly, he's going to be beyond everybody. And if he can catch, and if we can get it to him, that's six. And that's, that's how right. that works. Um, was, track, one other guy I mentioned, Tony, Willie Galt. Willie Galt, that's probably right. Probably the SEC Spread champion, of course, played for the Chicago Bears and won a Super Bowl. And That's was right. the only receiver most people will remember from that great team. They'll remember only a couple of offensive players, obviously Walter Payton and Jim McMahon. And they'll remember Willie Galt. He was not an all-pro receiver. He probably did make a pro bowl or two, though. So I get asked all the time, and I'm sure you do as well, what is the single favorite thing you have ever seen? And I think about it, but I always come back to something that you and I were both at. In Seoul, Korea, the yeah. final of the 100, yeah. Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson. It is yeah. the, the single most memorable event I was ever at. I, okay. I don't know now, if that's, that's for you. That, it's, it's two or three for me, but right. the greatest event I ever watched was with my own eyes. It's not an NBA Finals or a Super Bowl. It's Kathy Freeman winning the 400 in Australia as an Aboriginal woman and an Aussie. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And so it's too bad. It's just too bad that we are, you know, people will take anything I say that's even an observation about football that is not adoring. And they say, oh, you hate football. No, because I watch more football in person and on television than anybody who would be critical of me for saying it. And love it. Enjoy it. But, but it's, it's, not, it's not close to watching the 100 in person. You and I, we also watched Flores, Flo Joe. We watched her run yeah. Yeah. And against Evelyn Ashford and people like this. And we, we watched these, these events, and it's, it takes your breath away to watch it. As a matter of fact, the thing I compare to most, and I think you agree, to watch the heavyweight championship be contested in a ring and you are 10 feet away. It's great. And to watch it's, the 100 yeah. in the men's or women's events. That, 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 you, you know, so Tony, while we don't have the same single event, we have kind of the same thing. I watched that in 2000, just, what was that, 12 years after what you're describing in Seoul. There's a, there's a line that is drawn for me, and it's, I never cross the line. There are judged events, and then there are events you win. And I want to watch the events you win. I know that eight people are going to go down in lanes in the hundred. And the first guy who gets there is the winner. 
It's not, well, let's let's go to, let's judge this. It's right. not skating. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like skating. I do. I love yeah, Olympic I, skating. I, I love don't. to watch it, but it's a judged event and it's yeah. it's different. It's different. Boxing even is a, ju- if there's not a knockout, boxing is a judged event. Yeah. But, yeah. but track. But at least there's a chance in a, in that's a right. ring. There's that's a chance right. for you to say to the judges, I'm taking what over you? here. You could you just sit there and watch, buddy. That's right. That's right. But, but, the, That's but right. so that made it so exciting for us. And, and you know, it, I, I, I'm pretty sure you thought it was cool to hear, you know, from Nehemiah afterward because he. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And said, hey, he's involved what, in it. Yeah. I just I texted him right back and I just said, I'm I'm so grateful to hear from you in this way. You know, and I bet you, Tony, that, that DK Metcalf did not take offense at what Ronaldo said. First of all, Ronaldo knew in advance exactly what he was talking about, and it, 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 it played out exactly that way. So, and, and they, he sent that photo with him afterward. It was so cool. It was just, it was just great. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I, um, I, I guess by next summer, I mean, by the, by the middle of this summer, I'm going to be up for this stuff. I don't know how it's going to play out, the, the Olympics exactly. Um, and I'm no, I'm no longer going, you know, 2012 was my last of 10 Olympics, but I, I love it. I love it. And I love that. I, the track and field championships, you know, I, I was surprised when I, when, after Cheryl and I got married, she wanted to see the Olympic track and field in person. And then she said that one of the things I want to see is, is the world track and field championships, not the Olympics, the world track and field championships. I said, well, let's go. That's yeah. true. It was a mother's day or a Christmas day present. I said, let's go. So we went to London, we got the seats, and then to sit, well, I think I got it from an IAAF contact, but international track and field. But to sit next to Ronaldo to watch it um, and, you know, watch Bolt. That, Tony, that, that might be the great thing of my life, too. It might be tied with Kathy Freeman. I mean, I sat at the Olympic Stadium multiple times, and I watched Usain Bolt in a 100,000-seat stadium packed in London. And when he – you know how the introduction – of the heavyweight champ is the greatest thing you can see. Oh. When Tyson would walk in the ring with that towel over his head, yeah. and apparently no socks he must have had, and they just come up over the boots. And they would announce Iron Mike Tyson, and it would take, it, it, that too would take your breath away. You get goosebumps. When, when, when Usain Bolt, when they would introduce him last in an Olympic stadium, and I saw him in a couple of Olympics, and people would be great. They'd be grateful for all the Olympians, and they knew them all, and they knew their faces and their strides, and they knew everything they did. But then when they introduced Bolt, it was an oh-my-God situation. Like, I can just go home now. I can go home and not even watch the race. It's so cool. And so I missed – we're not going to have anything like Bolt. I mean, maybe there'll be somebody that, that captures our imagination and appreciation like Bolt, but I don't, I don't know that it's going to happen again in my lifetime. Usain Bolt never ran a race flat out. Never. No. Because he was no. always winning. <laughs> he was always winning. He was looking around. He was always winning. So you don't even know. We don't even know how fast he He's the fastest person ever, as far as we know. We're yeah. certain of that because his times are the fastest ever. But we don't even know how fast he could be. And I wouldn't he say that about anybody up. else. He yeah. was always in cruise control for the last three yep. strides at least. Amazing. Just amazing. Yes. Yes. Just amazing. All right, I'll see you later. All right, Tom. Sounds good. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, we will take a break. Uh, We will come back. Chuck Culpepper has what I think is the biggest news story in sports, and that is about the possibility, if not probability, that uh, Medina Spirit will be DQ'd from the win that he had in the Kentucky Derby. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a Zip Recruiter ad. Good news for diehard MLB fans. You are being allowed to attend games this season where you sit in pods with your group. Sporting arenas are not the only places that are slowly returning back to normal. Businesses everywhere are making the gradual shift towards normalcy, which means more hiring. That's where Zip Recruiter comes in. And right now you can try it for free only at ZipRecruiter.com Tony. Why are millions of businesses fans of Zip Recruiter? Because Zip Recruiter makes hiring faster and easier. First, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites in just one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. 
Only at ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony. See why companies go wild for ZipRecruiter when you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony, T-O-N-Y. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Jeremy sends this in. This is a very nice letter. Because my band, Supper Break Bluegrass, just recorded a new single called If I See You in Heaven that we will release soon that I hope you all enjoy. Also, if any of your listeners are ever in Asheville, North Carolina, and in fact, I think Arch has a house in Asheville, North Carolina, we play a free bluegrass bunch, brunch rather, a free, it's hard to, these are hard words to get together, free bluegrass brunch at Jack of the Wood downtown from one to three every Sunday. We can save you a table. Isn't that nice? I'll be there in October. So then you should, you should go and say hello to Jeremy. Supper, break bluegrass, if I see you in heaven. And if people want to send us their music, how do they do so, Michael? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Okay, so I have to explain why we're having Chuck Culpepper on. And we would have him on every day if we could have him on. But I read online a couple of days ago, I read this fascinating story that he wrote about Medina Spirit, about the birth of Medina Spirit, about the people around Medina Spirit, about how the horse was sold for a, you know, a ham sandwich a couple of times. And it was the history of Medina Spirit from the people that knew him as a foal, like, like moment, of, am I right on that? Moment of birth, right? It starts moment of birth. Am I right on that? That's right. Yes. Okay. And it's great. And the story's great. It's absolutely great. And I'll get to it. But that story is in the rearview mirror right now because of developments that happened within the last 24 hours that Chuck has had to cover as well. And that is that a drug test on Medina Spirit, apparently taken day of or just hours or minutes after the race, after the Kentucky Derby, came back positive. And now there is some realistic chance, it seems to me, I'm sure there's an appeals process, that Medina Spirit can be stripped of his Kentucky Derby win. And so I'd like you to, I'd like you to walk us through this, it, starting with the fact, is it a random drug test or is the winner always tested? And how close to the close of the race is this done? So the winners, always, it would always be tested. And uh, thank you for what you said about that, my story, which, yeah, That's great. did just great. go kaput. Um, yeah, well, but, um, <laughs> that's life, yeah. <laughs> the winner would always be tested and you know, take, taken to the testing center, and they draw blood, they draw urine, uh, three samples of bl- blood, two of urine. They send two blood and one urine to the first lab, which was in Colorado in this case. And uh, they have a whole intricate process there where there's two tiers within that tier. And then for this second a split sample test that's coming up that's going to take a few weeks. Uh, they have uh, the the last remaining blood and urine, which have been in the freezer and the refrigerator locked for these days um, since the while the first procedure was t- undertaken. Okay, so there is one positive test. You just use the phrase for weeks. It's, next week is the Preakness. Under the current conditions... Is Medina Spirit allowed, even though Sally doesn't want him to, is Medina Spirit allowed to run in the Preakness because we're pending the second test? Yes. I think we'd agree that Sally should be the one to decide. That's what I think anyway, but um, <laughs> that's not the case as in reality. And it's because of, you know, there's this whole patchwork of, of jurisdictions in the sport always has been. It's always been seen as a problem by some people, um, some people trying to nationalize it now, you know, with the new law and everything. But um, yes, he, there are all kinds of things that could happen here, including uh, running in the Preakness, winning the Preakness, then losing the Kentucky Derby, um, running in the Preakness, winning the Preakness, losing the Derby, and then on appeal later, winning the Derby, uh, it could go on. The split sample test could go on long enough that the Belmont would be run before uh, before the uh, result came in, and I would not bet on that happening. But it's an outside possibility. So um, this is 
this is quite a situation here. So let me get to one other thing. They have run the Kentucky Derby for over 100 years. Kentucky Derby is the most famous horse race in the United States of America. It draws a television audience that far exceeds any NBA regular season game. Far exceeds it. In the history of the Kentucky Derby, and I don't think I'm mistaken on this, only once has a horse been DQ'd for drugs. Now, there was a horse a couple of years ago got DQ'd for bumping. But only once, I think, DQ'd for drugs. So this would be monumental, would it not? Monumental. Because you'd have to give back the money. As, I mean, it, it, the ramifications of this strike me as not simply small ripples in a big pond. I think it would be one of the biggest stories in the history of American sports because you've got the oldest continuous sporting event, annual sporting event in American sports, 147 years old. And I, I think it would be just way, way up there in the, in the history of the country, even though the sport has faded in popularity compared to what it was mid-century, last century, you know. Uh, so I, it, would, it would be huge, and it could stretch on for a long, long time. If we look at 1968, when that happened before, Dancer's Image won the race on the day, then the test came back the next night, Sunday night, then the first initial disqualification came on Tuesday, and then he ran in the Preakness and finished third and ran against a forward pass who was the horse that was awarded the Derby after Dancer's Image was disqualified and forward pass won the Preakness. So, and then it went into the courts for years, maybe four or five years. And so that could happen here. I mean, this could be yeah. in courtrooms, you know, for, for a long time in the future. So let me, let me, just as a point of interest, in case somebody doesn't understand how this works, if you bet on Medina Spirit, you're okay to keep your money. The money that That's would be right. given back would be the winner's purse, but, but when right. that official light went up, that was official, and so you don't have to worry about that. There is an added component here, and it involves Bob Baffert, who is the most famous and most glamorous and most successful horse trainer in the country and certainly of the Kentucky Derby. He holds the record. He has been accused recently of, of allowing his horses. Horses are allowed to be drugged. What they, certain drugs are not allowed, but other drugs are allowed. But there are limits. There are limits. That's, you know, this is like, you know, if you're, if, if you're suspected of driving while impaired, you know, and you blow a point four. You know, point four puts you over the line, but point one doesn't. So you're you're allowed to have certain things in your system, but Baffert stands accused now of not of doing it himself. I don't think Chuck, correct me wherever I'm wrong here, but he has to take the responsibility if the horse is drugged. This would be, it seems to me, a and I don't want to overstate it, but I think we're on the level of severe blow to his reputation. Yes. Uh, oh, I think I think we have to discuss whether the possibility of whether it ruins him. I mean, I, mm. I, it's, it's the last few years had, you know, a lot of, he's had his share of cases of these and often involving these drugs where you're allowed to use them, but they're supposed to wear off by the time of the race. And right. that's the case with this beta methasone. Uh, it's a class C drug under Kentucky standards. It's on the list with 106 other drugs, I counted them till my eyes were bleary, so that number could be spotty. I don't know. But um, it's not considered to enhance performance, but it's on that list because, you know, if it's, it's a steroid that, that helps with uh, joint pain, and if you used it on a race day, you could be running a sore horse who would then be imperiled. So. Yeah, um, and Baffert has done something that he's never done before. When he's been accused before, Baffert had some, said something like, oh, I don't know how this happened. Oh, I, don't know. I don't know how this happened. This time, Baffert has said, oh, no, 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 no. We didn't use this. We did not use this. So he's planted his flag in the ground on this one. What do you think of that? I was startled by that. I was, or struck by that, I should say. Um, you know, he's saying we just flat out did not use this, and they're not mm -hmm. going to find it there. And I just... I just found that to be a departure from, you know, from what we've heard him say 
before in these other cases. You know, there were questions about justify the Triple Crown winner in 2018. Uh, that turned out to be largely explained by something in the feed that went to other barns that day that had the same positive tests. And there you know, questions about Arkansas last May that were, you know, that were various reasons used there. And uh, this was different. This was just saying, nope, we haven't ever used this one on this horse. So um, I don't know what that means. And, you know, it's very rare that a split sample will come back uh, to refute the earlier uh, test. Mm-hmm. So this, this is, uh, this, this, again, I just, you know, you, at the barn yesterday in, at Churchill Downs, his lawyer was standing nearby. And I was thinking, oh, we're going to get, get used to that lawyer. You know, it's going to be a lot of lawyering going on. So how does it work? Does the trainer administer things? Does a veterinarian administer things? Do other people in the barn administer things? If, if you want to point the finger at the operation, who do you point the finger at? Well, I think all of the above is the answer to, to that first question, but that, you know, we all agree, I think Bafford included, that he's the one responsible for whatever goes right. on in the barn for the tenor of the barn, for how it works, for how scrupulous it is. Um, I think we, we all, he's the face of it. He's the boss. And we all agree that, you know, that he's the one who ultimately, you know, bears responsibility for what people do within the barn. Okay. I'm not going to ask, you know, to judge guilt or innocence because we're all in this waiting game, but I will ask this. Baffert's history is to take a Kentucky Derby winner and run that Kentucky Derby winner in the Preakness. Do you believe that Medina Spirit will run in the Preakness? I'm, I'm, I'm just slightly off the fence to the side of no. I just mm-hmm. think that when it comes down to it, they're gonna, they're not going to be able to, to uh, justify it. And, um, but boy, that the statement by Pimlico on Sunday was, um, was. I thought it was easy to defend, but it was equivocal in that manner. You know, we're going to study the facts and and make our decision, whereas Churchill Downs quickly just suspended him from their meet, which is ongoing until June 26. So uh, that, you know, that was kind of a a rapid call there. And then, uh, but Pimlico was more of a little bit wait and see. If I had to guess, I just can't see it. Is Baffert popular among his fellow trainers? Oh, I think what I've always noticed there is maybe a dichotomy is there are some who resent, you know, the success or resent the, his popularity among maybe the, the media, which has always been there. Uh, you know, he's first came mm-hmm. up 25 years ago at the Derby with Cavanier who finished a nose behind grindstone, almost won the thing. And immediately there was this, he had wit, charm. He was affable, um, good to talk to, easy to get along with, funny, like I said. And he, I, I think there was some, there's always some envy of some, someone like that. So I think there's envy mixed in. I think there's are genuine concerns from some trainers about, you know, what's going on there with the barn. Uh, I think there, and I think there are some, you know, Wayne Lucas being a rival for a while, uh, Baffert, and now there's there seems unquestionably to be a friendship there. So I think it's a, a big mix out there. All right. I want to recommend again the, the story that we didn't get to because it's just so good. I mean, just if you could take a minute and describe where you went and who you talked to to basically tell the history of this three-year-old cult. It's a 10-acre farm near Ocala, Florida, in the horse country there. And it happens to be where this horse joined the, the earth. And there were two women, uh, the breeder, Gail Rice, who's 59 years old and her been at it a good while and her daughter-in-law, Emily. And here Gail came home and it's this small farm. It's, it's neat, but it's not exquisite in how it's kept. Like you see a lot of these Kentucky farms are. And she drives up and sees the, the mare is ready to uh, to have the foal and that the legs are coming out the wrong way. And these two women get out there and they're covered in amniotic fluid and they, they re- redirect the legs and they get the foal out and they 
they love the foal from the get-go, and he's smooth and runs well and good athlete and a great disposition, and then they take him to the yearling sale eventually the following January, eight months, nine months later, and he sells for $1,000. And there's only one other person looking at him, the woman who buys him, a consigner named Christy Whitman, who's 37 and struggled in her business and and finally, and she's, she just has a good eye, obviously, and she just thinks this horse is an athlete, even though his pedigree is modest, and she she buys him for $1,000, and the two women stand there and chat, and uh, and then they become, well, they have this moment on May 1st where, you know, their approaches to the sport, which they've doubted themselves sometimes, are, are validated, and this whole week of exhilaration and um, I guess I've got to call them soon to find out yeah yeah what Sunday morning was like yeah you got to follow it you got to follow it it's a great story if people can get it and read it it's a great story and you know a thousand dollars and the horse ends up being first in the Kentucky I don't know if he wins it because we'll find that out down the road but ends up first to the wire in the Kentucky Derby and a thousand dollars honestly Man, that's dinner for a table of eight. <laughs> that's really what it is. That's all yeah. it is. Dinner for a table of eight. Chuck, thank you so, so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you. Chuck Culpepper, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will have uh, email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Summer is coming, and for so many, it's the season of discomfort. It's hot out, and if you could sit around in just your underwear, you would. MeUndies wants to make this summer the summer of comfort, and they want you to know that if you want to sit around your underwear, that's absolutely okay. Get comfortable and express yourself this summer with undies in classic and bold colors and fun and adventurous prints. It's very timely. Uh, Mother's Day, we were actually looking at MeUndies.com as we were exploring their Breathe collection, and I was sort of hoping that they'd have some cicada prints, just because I think that'd be very <laughs> timely and fun for the Mid-Atlantic, get some cicada underpants. But no, instead I found the Sploot collection, which is... A bunch of corgis. They have corgi corgis. dogs. Oh, fabulous. Underpants. So the queen would like them. Yeah. <laughs> Rushing home to change into something more comfortable is a thing of the past. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Stay comfy in me undies all days. Get undies, socks, loungewear, and more. And choose from endless styles and sizes extra small to 4XL with their sustainably soft micro-modal and ultralight breathe fabrics. And I'm being serious, though. The ultralight breathe fabric, this is new. This is a game-changer for those two-a-days. MeUndies has a great offer for Tony's listeners. For any first-time purchasers, getting better at it, Dad, you get 15% off and free shipping. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash Tony K. That's MeUndies.com slash Tony K. That's lovely. Don't you know, do you think that, that the guy's career would have been changed if his name, instead of Carrot Top, was Caveat Top? Ooh. I mean, just think that would... <laughs> different, different kind of comedy. Yeah. All right, so we will, uh, yeah, we'll be back. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of you folks. But don't send in faxes. Thank you to Jason Fuse for that. Thank you to Marty Kaiser for a nice note today that I saw. Thank you for that. Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Well, thank you, Mr. Tony. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. <clears throat> Excuse me, you will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then stop on in, and you will be thrilled. Uh, that'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say it was Stagger Lee and Billy, two men who gambled late. Stagger Lee threw seven. Billy swore that he threw eight. Stagger Lee told Billy, I can't let you go with that. You've won all my money and my brand-new Stetson hat. you got to hear that song. Lloyd Price. Rest in peace. Our thanks to Michael Wilbon and Chuck Culpepper today. Our thanks to our sponsors, MeUndies, Policy Genius, ZipRecruiter. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. From Ben Ramondetta in Beverly. As a millennial little, I became a listener shortly after the birth of the baby boy Bootsy, so I could never be sure of why that particular name was chosen. Now that the point has been brought up again, I thought I might be able to interest you in a quick history lesson regarding the name Bootsy. 
In about 14 AD, your first year of high school, a little boy named Gaius accompanied his father, a general named Germanicus, to the front lines of some Roman military campaigns north of the empire. On these trips, Germanicus would dress little Gaius up in full military garb so this toddler could look the part of a miniature soldier. The adult soldiers on the front were so entertained by this that they gave Gaius a nickname according to his uniform. The nickname was the diminutive form of the Latin word for boot, and so Gaius for the rest of his life became known as, depending upon your chosen translation, Little Boot or Bootsy. And just in case you were wondering, Gaius's given name was Gaius Julius Caesar, and the nickname by which you may better know him was Caligula, Latin for Bootsy. <laughs> While some might say sharing a nickname with an emperor sets unrealistic expectations and others may think sharing a nickname with this emperor invites unfortunate comparison, I say, as long as this Bootsy doesn't throw a birthday party and then feed the attendees to Chessie when he gets bored, he's doing just fine. From Steve Dent in Wilmington, Delaware, your pretzel commentary reminded me of a classic Philly pretzel story. My cousin and I were leaving a brutally cold and windy Eagles game at the thankfully extinct Veterans Stadium. Outside the stadium, a vendor with a shopping cart of pretzels called out four for a dollar. We asked if they were hot. Without skipping a beat, he spouted out room temperature. Headed down to Rehoboth to pick up the water at your beach house in a few weeks to get some water to fill our pool this summer. Kevin Quinn in Long Beach, New York, where I owned a home on 537 East Harrison Street. For the love of God, can Nigel stop calling them bagel sandwiches? The sandwich takes on the name of what is in the sandwich. They're egg sandwiches. When you're eating a pastrami on rye, do you call it a rye sandwich? Um, hello, old sport. So here's how you smuggle finches. And no, that's not code for anything. Thanks to observing, uh, thanks to observing the parents of a school friend, one who was from the Philippines and missed home, and the other who, let's say, had a relaxed view on whether laws applied to him. I have some idea. Basically, you get the birds drunk. You feed them alcohol with an eyedropper, and you stuff them into tubes. You herd hair curlers. This guy... Uh, used almost spent rolls of toilet paper, and so there was a room full of birds off the kitchen that wouldn't shut up. Here's a tip for your audience. Do not feed alcohol to birds and smuggle them across international boundaries. And for your second question, yeah, the ratio of surviving birds was better than the Titanic, but worse than mining asbestos. Totally insisting that you do not, do not, do not do this. I am Hampton Nager in Dallas, Texas. Uh, from John Juback in Pittsburgh, on Friday's show you read an email from a listener in Denora, Pennsylvania. As you noted, this is indeed the boyhood home of Stan Musial, but it is also the birthplace of another Hall of Famer, Ken Griffey Jr. Although I am neither Hoff nor Waff, I grew up in Denora, and my dad was a high school classmate of both Stan and Junior's grandfather. According to the family lore, my dad beat Stan Musial in a ping-pong tournament, which I am inclined to believe because I could never beat him myself. A running joke in our family was my dad could never forget his wedding anniversary, November 21st, because it was also the birthday of both Musial and Griffey Jr., what are the odds that one small town with a peak population of 11,000 in the post-war years could send two players born on the same day to Cooperstown? From Jessica Gibson, my husband has been a dedicated little for years and has ensured the family is up to date with your discussions on single shoes and Subway sandwiches, despite us wishing to remain ignorant on these matters. As it happens every year, I noted to my husband that Mother's Day was coming up, and as usual, he quoted your sage words, all I want for Father's Day is to go golfing on Mother's Day. This year, he is making those words happen as he booked a full 18 on Sunday, May 9th with his buddies. To you, Tony, I send a TK salute. To my husband, all I want for Mother's Day is to go to the spa on Father's Day. From Matthew in Greensboro, North Carolina, by way of New Rochelle, New York. With the Nats playing the Yanks this weekend, I finally got around to seeing the infamous Nats bullpen I kept hearing about. I truly see how they are the perpetual undoing of joy in the Kornheiser household. The hands they had. Yanks had the upper, and the Nats had bread. From Tim Cree in Fort <laughs> Collins, Colorado. Hmm? Swero's coming back. Oh, great. That's great. Oh, yeah. Wander Swero's coming <laughs> back. Oh, take care of the seventh. Yeah. Tim Cree in Fort <laughs> Collins, Colorado. Uh, enjoyed Friday's email mentioning someone from Buffalo calling it a Midwestern city. Allow me to clarify for the bewildered. Buffalo is in New York. New York touches the Atlantic Ocean. A good rule of thumb for determining if your town, village, or burg is in the Midwest is, is it in a state that touches the Atlantic? Then it isn't the Midwest. See how easy that was? Buffalo isn't Midwest because it isn't mid and it isn't west. If your state touches any ocean anywhere, it isn't mid anything. And one more from Chip from Syracuse living in Brooklyn. I ask, what's worse than a Subaru? A Subaru with a vanity license plate spelling out a phonetic spelling of said car. That's it. That's the list. See attached photo, and it is S-U-E, Sue, someone's name, Baru, B-A-R-O-O, Sue Baru. Ah, gag me. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Hola, nosotros somos Pineapple Landscape y escuchamos el show de Tony Kornheiser. Pero este show apesta.
oh, swing a bat, throw a ball, the Cubs have won it all. Pop the champagne, swell the beer, it's been a hundred eight years. The series is over, put a Cub hat on your head. Everyone who saw them win their last one is dead. Teddy Roosevelt was president when last they won. Since then we've seen Taft and Woodrow Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, FDR four times, Truman, Eisenhower, JFK, LBJ, Nixon, Ford, and Carter, Reagan, Bush the elder, Clinton, Bush the younger than in his final presidential fall. Barack Obama saw the Cubs win it all. 1908 Cubs over Tigers after slipping past the Giants. 108 years later Rizzo took the final throw from Bryant. 1908 Chi-Town's mayor was a fella named Fred Bussey. Since then they've had some others as now my good friends you'll see. Carter Harrison Jr., William Thompson twice, Deaver, Cermak, Kelly, Kennelly, Richard J. Daly, Mike Belandic, Jane Byrne, Harold Washington, Sawyer, Richard M. Daly, and then Rahm Emanuel saw them play really well. And you might ask who were they? The boys that broke the spell The Cubs who became champions And sent the curse to hell Well, you got Arietta Chapman By his Bryant Rizzo Russell Zobris, Hendricks Ross Lackey Lester Fowler Haywood Schwarber, Wood Slayer Contreras, Strop, Montero Coglin, Grim, Rondon, Montgomery Albert Almora Jr. Carl Edwards Jr. And maybe the Cubs will win again next year. And after that, well, you know the fear. They won't win again till 2125. And if she would have me, and 
if she said so And honey, you lost me a long time ago So if I see you in heaven, will you kiss me again? You hold me and tell me that this ain't the end But if I see you tomorrow, goodbye's all you'll say But tomorrow, baby, is just another yesterday Yes, tomorrow, baby, is just another yesterday